0: A while back, there was a Lutheran professor of worship and music who taught a class on hymn writing. The students were mostly music majors looking at careers in the church. This professor was really old school. He didn't meet a 17th century hymn he didn't like. He loved Luther's hymns and Bach's harmonizations of them. That meant he had no patience at all for 20th century American hymnody. Whenever he wanted to highlight an example of bad hymn writing, he always chose the same whipping boy, In the Garden. Yes, I know, In the Garden, that beloved old hymn. His criticisms were legion. It was sappy. It was overly sentimental. The poetry was bad. It had no theological depth. It makes Jesus one's exclusive savior. Most of the students chuckled, but one young woman became increasingly uncomfortable as the semester went on. After one particularly brutal haranguing, she went to the professor after class. If you make fun of in the garden one more time, I am quitting this class. Why? the professor asked. I grew up in a household that had TBN on all the time, and sometimes I'd hear that song. My dad died when I was seven, and when my mom remarried, my stepdad abused me. The only thing that kept me sane was that song. I would picture Jesus walking with me, talking with me, and telling me I was his own, when no one else in the world cared for me. Is it theologically sophisticated? No. Did it keep me alive? Yes. So stop And the professor did. And has it made fun of in the garden to this day? That hymn was inspired by today's text. Today's gospel story is the inspiration behind that old hymn. See, we start out today in the darkness. When Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb early that Sunday morning, her motives aren't clear. In John's Gospel, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea took care of anointing the body on Friday afternoon, so there's no need to do that on Sunday morning. Perhaps in the darkness of that early Sunday morning is the first time Mary can get to the tomb after a Sabbath and the first day of Passover. Things had moved so quickly on Friday. Jesus died after only a few hours on the cross. He was quickly buried. Sundown had come, and she'd had no time to grieve. So this is the earliest she could spend a moment with Jesus. She gets to the tomb, and a horrible sight awaits her. The sight of a stone rolled away would not have meant resurrection. Far from it. It would have meant grave robbing. Someone had gotten to the tomb and had either moved or desecrated the body. She runs without even looking inside and finds Peter and the unnamed disciple, the same one who was with Jesus' mother on Friday. The one you'll remember forms part of the nucleus of the new community Jesus forms at the foot of the cross. Foot race to the tomb that those two have might strike us as comical today, but in the trauma of the moment, I doubt either one of them were laughing. John does make sure to tell us that Peter is slower than the unnamed disciple, which is a little comical, I'll grant that, but, but they get there and they look in and it, they don't see any signs of grave robbing. What they see is even weirder than that. The linen wrappings are there, which no grave robber would have taken the trouble to remove. And the cloth over Jesus' face is neatly folded in its own place. As if Jesus got up after a nap, thought, I better make my bed, and put things away neatly before emerging from the tomb. But this isn't clear to either of them. John tells that the unnamed disciple believed, but understanding doesn't come with this belief. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Whatever kind of belief that this unnamed disciple has, it isn't a mighty fortress kind of belief. Far from it. It's more of a, what just happened? kind of belief. They can't make heads or tails of it. So they go back to their guest house, leaving Mary in the garden alone, crying, confused. So Mary, left alone again, steals herself, looks in that tomb. Two angels in white are there, and they ask, why are you crying? Are they kidding? Why are you crying? Why do they think she's crying? Maybe this is a way of asking, what are your tears about? But it seems pretty obvious why Mary is crying her Lord, her friend, Jesus is dead. And now the body is nowhere to be found. But then suddenly Jesus shows up. And she doesn't recognize him. She doesn't recognize him. So why? Does he look different? Is he dressed differently Or is it, as I suspect, that seeing Jesus alive was simply beyond the realm of possibility for poor Mary? Maybe she couldn't see who Jesus is because resurrection, then as now, was simply not a possibility. The ancients weren't stupid. Dead is dead. Mary had seen Jesus die with her own eyes. No wonder that she supposes that he might be the gardener, which is kind of funny. The Son of God, Messiah and King, is mistaken for the gardener. So how does she recognize him? Jesus calls her by name. Jesus calls her by name. Few things feel as satisfying as when someone remembers your name, don't they? When someone calls you by name, you might feel remembered, worthy of attention, worthy of being seen, known. Jesus remembers Mary's name. It is in that moment when Jesus calls her by name that she recognizes that the impossible has happened. That Jesus is alive. Maybe you're in a place, similar place that Mary was. Maybe you feel like Mary today, grieving, forgotten, or alone, even on a day that is supposed to be the height of joy. Maybe you are disconnected from some of your family members or friends. Maybe it's hard to believe that Jesus' resurrection can have any possible meaning for you right now with the way the world is. The beauty of the resurrection story is that there is no room in it for forced, fake, It takes us as we are. Jesus doesn't come up to Mary in a three-piece magician suit and hat and say, Ta-da! You thought I was dead, but now I'm back. Cheer up! Jesus receives Mary just as she is. In her grief, in her tears, in her darkness, and calls her by name. And Jesus calls you and me by name. And if you are baptized, I promise this has happened to you at least once audibly. Jesus has called you by name at least once and you could hear it. After you were baptized and the pastor traced the cross on your forehead, Jesus, through the pastor's mouth, said, Amy, Natalie, Arden, James, Aiden, Littell, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. Forever. Jesus, the eternal word of God, knows each and every one of you by name as he knows me. In baptism, we become his forever. And so there is a place for an old song like in the garden. It may not be the most theologically profound. It may be a bit sentimental for some, but it's beloved for one reason. It gets something right. Jesus tells us, each of us, that we are his own. For closing prayer, I'd like, once the band gets back over there, and there isn't enough, enough warning in this sermon to, to tell them to get back, so <laughs> when the band gets back over there, I'd like you to sing the song's first verse and refrain with me. I falling on my ear the song